0: So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed... Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy the person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you much, Neville. Uh, Do keep that uh, passage open. Well, Jane has, uh, cu- has recently changed churches and now worships at St Peter's. And she has to admit that uh, the first uh, visits have made quite an impression. Um, it wasn't just the music, which was cutting edge, uh, nor the young demographics, uh, or even the quality of the coffee. I no, what has particularly impressed her was its leaders. Uh, only a few years back, the church had been a really struggling church. Uh, but the new vicar and his team had really turned things around. Uh, if there was such a thing as an offstead for churches, they would have moved from uh, failing to outstanding. The success of St Peter's owes much to its gifted and enterprising leadership. That's what the report uh, would have said. And without exception, the preaching team was amazing. Uh, sermons were short and engaging, uh, easy on the ear, well-illustrated And those that delivered them are well-versed in the latest ideas and thinking. Jane just wished that some of her college lecturers were as good and as captivating. No wonder the vicar was a regular uh, feature on uh, Thought for the Day. Uh, And Jane wasn't surprised when one of uh, the vicar's biggest fans told her, in almost reverential tones, that Mike had caught the bishop's eye and had hinted that he was destined for great things. And to all, his latest book uh, on leadership had made the Amazon bestseller list. Well, the conversations over excellent coffee often focused on the succession plans when Mike eventually did get the bishop's nod. And it seemed that everyone had an opinion speaking about their preferred candidate in almost godlike language, while insightfully pointing out the flaws of others in the competition. But the facts both themselves, uh, having been bumping along at the bottom, uh, for years the church had been transformed. A mature congregation, an array of dynamic ministries, hardly a spare seat to be found, you could say things were looking pretty good for St Peter's. It clearly was a healthy, mature church uh, with a great future. Well, we're back in 1 Corinthians uh, this morning after a short break, uh, looking at a church where the values... And ways of the world were very much uh, creeping in and driving the agenda of this church. And in many ways, exploring this letter has uh, been a bit like looking into a mirror, hasn't it, as we see how much the contemporary church of our day has been shaped and influenced uh, by the prevailing culture around it. But it is a danger that we're not immune to, to, too. And this morning, we will find Paul's words, I think, very challenging, Uh, challenging for those who are leaders here at Emmanuel, but also for all of us as the Bible exposes our own attitudes and values. Let's pray as we allow God to speak through his word to us this morning. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Lord Jesus, please uh, teach us this morning that we might grow up in our faith And become that church that you want us to be. And use this part of your word to shape us and change us. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, the church in Corinth looked like a healthy and mature church. It wasn't brand new. Uh, The foundations that we found out in our reading had been laid by Paul a few years back. And now others were carrying on that work of building up uh, God's people. And at first glance, there was plenty of evidence of maturity, of having grown up uh, and impressive leadership, dynamic gifts in operation, uh, knowledge and abundance. In many ways, you could say the church had come of age. Uh, indeed, some in the church uh, were, as we've been seeing, uh, starting to feel that they could move on from Paul's uh, basic teaching that had kind of focused on the cross and get into more sort of meaty stuff. And convinced that they'd outgrown Paul, some had started to drift to other kinds of more exciting teachers, uh, wondering what they'd seen in Paul in in the first place. He certainly couldn't match the depth and eloquence of those who were lining up to teach them now. And what was starting to grate with some of the the folks at Corinth was, was Paul was just not facing the facts. They had grown up, and yet Paul insisted on treating them like they were kids still. they had grown up, and it was just a pity that Paul hadn't grown up with them. Well, Paul's response at the start of this chapter is quite devastating, isn't it? Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, uh, spiritual, but as those who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk rather than solids. Even now, you aren't ready uh, for solid food. Well, talk about bursting the bubble, uh, like a parent with st- stroppy ch- uh, teenagers. Paul says, in effect, you want me to treat you like adults? or well, stop behaving like babies. And Paul isn't some parent who's just refused to, to face the fact that his children have grown up and needs to let go. No, here in our passage, Paul spells out just how worldly and how immature they still are. Look down at verses 3 and 4 you see how this immaturity is still expressed? It seems as poor in their attitudes towards their leaders. Uh, A bit like children in the playgrounds, uh, they are squabbling and fighting over who is the greatest, uh, dividing up into their gangs and lining up behind their heroes. And if it hasn't yet come to blows, the atmosphere in the church in Corinth is rife, isn't it, with jealousy and quarrelling. And the irony is that these divisions weren't based around important differences of theology, but around issues of personality and style largely. And Paul's caught a whiff for the fact that there's even a fan club for him. But rather than being chuffed, he's he's horrified as the church threatens to, to splinter, as its focus drifts away from Jesus and onto their leaders. Well, in a culture that often does, I think, worship celebrity, where leaders often are pedestalled and idolised, and where divisions and rivalry around leaders can quickly build up, Paul, I think, has lots to say uh, to challenge our culture, uh, including our church culture, when it comes to how we look at our leaders. Well, as he sets about addressing their worldly attitudes, here's the first thing I think Paul wants us to see. Uh, Leaders are only servants, Verses 5 to 9. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Not who, but what. Do you sense uh, Paul's horror? His disgust at the elevation of human leaders within the church. And notice how Paul answers his own question. uh, Just servants. And then verse 7. What is Apollos, Paul? Not anything. Not anything. And even in verse 9, where Paul describes leaders as co-workers... I don't think he's bigging up their status as they work alongside God. Rather, he's reducing all Christian leaders to the same lowly level, just workers, just servants. And to drive the point home, he uses, doesn't he, this agricultural picture. Uh, So, yes, leaders have different parts and roles to play as they do the work in God's field, that's the church. Uh, Just as in Corinth where Paul had been the one who'd first planted the seed of the gospel and Apollos had gone on to to water that seed. But Paul says, well, who assigned the tasks? Uh, Who pays the wages? And most importantly, who actually makes the seed grow? Not Paul, not Apollos or any of their leaders. Now, when it comes to the key issue of growth, ultimately only God can take the credit Indeed, with the best planting and watering uh, methods and prowess, unless God works, says Paul, any labour on our part is, is useless. It accomplishes nothing. And so Paul's saying, isn't he, however diligent or gifted or apparently impressive your leaders are, only God can make things grow. Everything ultimately relies on him for that miracle of growth. And so he rightly, God rightly gets the credit and the praise. Uh, when I was at um, uh, primary school, we used to have a daffodil growing competition. Uh, and after several very frustrating years, when all I f- produced was uh, uh, an array of leaves, I finally nailed it. I finally, nailed it. I had success—a uh, pot of beautiful uh, daffodils, not just the usual stalks. Even though I'd done exactly the same thing, I put stuff in a, in a pot and I stuck it in a dark place. Uh, this time round, for some reason, uh, these uh, flowers grew. And so I marched into school with my head held high, so proud, so impressed at my achievements, especially when compared to others who looked more like my flower normally looked. But if I just thought for a moment, uh, the growth was God's. He had the starring role. I just had a very insignificant and minor part to play and nothing to boast or brag about. Well, Christian leaders can can't they, often mistake their own gifts or success as some kind of evidence of spiritual prowess. You see that only in leaders who love to bask in the worship of their followers or who name ministries after themselves, um, who have websites that extol and list their accomplishments and, and conversion rates and who seem keen to twist that sort of humble serving role. Into a starring role. But sometimes we can elevate, can't we, leaders, even when they would actively discourage us from doing that? Something we're kind of hardwired to do, isn't it? And we use them to define ourselves, uh, to push our own agendas, to distinguish and divide ourselves from others, and to elevate ourselves above others. And this is a generalisation, but often we do that, don't we? Particularly when we're young to idolise people and leaders. That sort of idolisation you see with teenagers plastering their walls with uh, a sporting hero or a pop star. I always remember once taking some students to a Christian conference and meeting them outside the gents. And one said in a hushed tone, you'd never guess who I just peed next to. (laughs) And the other said wide-eyed, well, I guess he has to empty his bladder like the rest of us. Well, Paul is reminding us this morning to resist seeing leaders as anything more than servants and to resist the temptation to take the credit as leaders. So if we do see any growth or any fruit or success as a home group leader or with our kids that we lead or in the ministries we organise and coordinate, I hope we're quick to credit God and to draw the focus on him. Perhaps you've had the amazing amazing privilege of leading someone to to Christ, of uh, being involved in maturing their faith in some way, contributing uh, to a ministry that's flourished. Well, Paul reminds us that if there's been anything of enduring significance and value, it's only because God has been at work. Indeed, as we've already seen this letter, the gifts that we have used um, are those given to us by God in the first place. So The glory goes to him and him alone. What is Paul? Uh, What is Apollos? Not stars and heroes to be exalted, certainly not in competition with one another or enemies, but just part of the same team, just lowly servants graciously being used by the same master uh, to serve the one God and his great purposes. So maybe we need to grow up to, to stop thinking like the world, to take our eyes off human personalities, as Paul reminds us, Uh, Leaders are just uh, servants. Notice on verse 10 how Paul moves uh, from a picture of the agricultural field uh, to the building site. And now he looks at this issue of how leaders will be judged. Well, it does seem that uh, some of the new leaders in Corinth were operating within uh, uh, the Corinthian church in a way that was going down a storm. Uh, they were perhaps easier on the ear than Paul had been. Uh, their message came perhaps with a degree of sophistication that set well in that culture that prized eloquence and intellect. Perhaps they compared Paul's ministry with their new teachers, noting that Paul had never drawn the same kind of crowds these new guys did with his simple and very basic message about a cross. And it seems as though the church saw their new tastes and preferences as indication that they'd grown up. That even outgrown Paul and his message. Well, Paul could have come out, couldn't he, all guns blazing, fighting for his reputation, his legacy. But surprisingly, he seems, doesn't he, very unfazed by their criticisms, their judgments. You see, for Paul, only one judgment mattered. And if the Corinthians showed their immaturity by uh, judging their leaders by worldly standards... Paul reminds them of that more important future judgment and the basis on which that will be made. As I say, notice how Paul moves this from, from that farming uh, agricultural uh, image now to a building site image. Let me read from verse 10. By the grace God has given me, uh, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what's been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet we'll be saved, even those ones escaping through the flames. Well, these words are, are very challenging uh, for those given responsibility to lead within God's church. But even if we don't fall into that category this morning, at least in any formal sense, uh, Paul writes these words for the whole church, I think, uh, wanting each of us to be aware of the dangers of falling victim to the cowboy builder. Uh, we were victims of a cowboy builder just a few years back before COVID. Having got an architect to design a little extension in the back of our house, um, the builder arrived and set to work with his team. It was gutting when he suddenly vanished with our money. But worse still, we, when we got the new builders to take over the project, we discovered the first one had ignored the architect's plans when it comes to something as foundational as the foundations. So all the work they'd done, impressive as though it looked to our untrained eye. It had to be taken down and, and restarted. It, it was gutting and very costly to sort out the mess. Well, if the agricultural picture earlier focused on God as the one who does the work, in this building picture, the emphasis, I think, is on the quality of building work and the importance of sticking to the uh, architect's plans. And hopefully, in God's building project, the right foundations have already been uh, marked out and laid. Uh, and the foundation, says Paul, is Jesus Christ himself. And Paul was the one who had laid that foundation in Corinth as the Apostle Paul. So it was the, uh, Paul's uh, teaching and preaching about Jesus, specifically about his teaching about the cross that had led to that foundation uh, being laid. And Paul had laid that foundation correctly according to the architect's plan. And here Paul, I think, is being insistent there's no flexibility when it comes to that foundation. The apostolic message that focuses on a crucified saviour is the only blueprint that produces a building that is called the church. Well, in Corinth, there were builders uh, building. Walls were going up with great speed, it seems, But here's Paul's warning. If they're trying to build on a different foundation, it will all need to come down. And if they're building on uh, that foundation, even with uh, cheap and inferior materials, uh, perhaps the wisdom of this world rather than God's wisdom, then much of what's going to be built won't last. And the ultimate test of that work isn't revealed in the self-satisfying nods of the leaders or the enthusiastic Enthusiastic praise of the congregation. But as we discovered in our own building disaster, in the final inspection and verdict of the architect himself. Well, maybe the Corinthians did have some very impressive building plans. Uh, a larger worship area, a new suite of purpose-built rooms for the kids' work with the influx of young families, dynamic new programmes. Perhaps even the leaders of that church had caught the eyes of the local community Maybe the diocese was sending a delegation of church leaders to, to learn from what was happening in Corinth. But Paul warns that appearances can be uh, deceptive. And ultimately, only God's judgment at the end of time will reveal the quality of the build. But notice, even before that revealing day, Paul urges the church not to be fooled, to be on the lookout uh, to spot uh, the cowboy builder. Uh, to spot any drift away from the foundations of God's blueprint, that gospel that focuses on the cross of Christ. Well, this is not just a warning, is it, for the church in Corinth? It's a warning for us, I think, too, isn't it? A a warning, I think, at least to those who are leaders, um, a warning to look beyond the praise of people. And to seek the affirmation and reward of God Himself. Those words said at the end of time, well done, good, faithful servant. Uh, to keep the building on the, on the true foundation, to ensure what we teach lines up with Scripture, to ensure that we teach those things that are hard, that go against the flow of our culture, uh, to exercise our ministry in a way that doesn't exalt the minister, the servant. Paul calls him, but exalts Jesus. That leaves God's people seeing and savouring Christ, boasting about him and how wonderful he is. I notice verses 14 to 15 the, the failure to exercise that kind of ministry at best is like building with straw. It won't last, not when tested by the fire of God's judgment. In the best-case scenario, those who have built with straw will themselves be saved, he says. But there will be little fruit to show for their efforts, little lasting gospel legacy, and therefore no reward. I was talking to someone here in Cheshire a while back whose house was destroyed by fire. Can't imagine a more devastating experience than to watch everything go up in smoke, losing everything and barely making it out alive. A little left for a lifetime of investment and labour, perhaps. And it seemed in Corinth that these leaders were not were shifting away from that foundation, perhaps not denying the cross explicitly, but over coffee, perhaps, the topic of conversation centred around leaders, how impressive they were, rather than around Jesus and boasting about him. Wowed by the giftedness of their teachers and Losing sight just to how amazing God's gift of forgiveness was, perhaps. Perhaps that was the heart of the problem. As Jesus and the cross got pushed to the periphery, the egos of these leaders quickly filled the space. And the bickering and the sniping, the jealousy, the rivalry, the noses out of joints revealed behaviour more in common with the playground than in God's precious church. If I'm honest, I can sometimes convince myself that I'm making great strides in the Christian faith, uh, doing a decent job as a leader, only to find myself crushed uh, when something I've done is criticised or or ignored. Uh, Sometimes I imagine myself building on Christ and him crucified um, and then find myself comparing myself to others, um, envying their gifts perhaps, or jealous of their personalities, Shows, doesn't it, how much the world is still in me, how immature I can be, how much growing up I still need to do. How I need to keep letting the gospel shape me so that I'm very happy to become smaller, so that Christ becomes greater. Well, as Paul exposes these leaders and the worldliness in this church, I wonder if it sheds light on what is being built here whether it reveals that we are growing in our faith, in our spiritual maturity, or just babies still really playing uh, in the playground. Well, verses 16 and 17 are especially sobering verses, aren't they? It shows that God really does care about his building, his church, and therefore cares about what we build on and with. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's building, God's temple, God will destroy that person. Uh, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Here I think we have in view not so much that the shoddy cowboy builder, we have here the house wrecker, don't we? Uh, someone who uh, doesn't produce nothing of value, but actually leaves behind a trail of devastation. And God says when it comes to something as precious as the church... Those that uh, take a wrecking ball to it by teaching uh, not just what is not helpful, but what is positively harmful, will not escape the wrecking ball of God's judgment. See, for God, the church is not some kind of sideshow. It is his great project, the place in which God, by his spirit, dwells. Uh, He's all in. Indeed, our passage reminds us that the church owes existence to God the Father. It's built on the foundation of the Son, Jesus, and indwelt by by God the Holy Spirit. He's totally committed uh, to this building project, a commitment underscored by the staggering cost he was willing to invest, giving up his own son uh, to the cross uh, to make this building project a reality. So, no surprises, we find that those who wreck or seek to wreck God's church will face the full force of his anger and judgment. Well, Paul concludes this passage and the rest of this, the first part of this letter, with a very clear and final warning. Uh, Don't be deceived as leaders, by your leaders, or in your attitude towards your leaders. And as he ends, he returns to this big theme of wisdom and foolishness, and he's very clear: so-called human wisdom and God's wisdom are totally incompatible. Better to be fools in the world's eyes, uh, to trust and to trust. Than, uh, better to be fools in the world's eyes, and to trust and exercise God's wisdom than to be captured by worldly ideas and thinking that one day will be revealed as futile and folly. And even this morning, as we recognise our own worldly thinking, perhaps, about leaders that impress us, or the kind of leaders we aspire to be, Paul ends with a call, I think, to repentance. So no more boasting about human leaders. Instead, the, the right response, I think, is captured by the song that we sang earlier. We will not boast in anything <coughs> Uh, No gifts, no power, no wisdom. We will boast in Jesus Christ, uh, his death and resurrection. And maybe for some of us that involves uh, an about turn, uh, away from leading that is driven by a desire to look spiritual, to look impressive. Maybe Paul's call to repentance is one that challenges the kind of teachers that we naturally gravitate towards, the kind of leaders we long to have or to trust Just this week at our church staff meeting, we were faced with a number of very challenging situations, pastoral, denominational, that are just beyond our ability to fix or solve. And we were reminded that only Jesus, only a seemingly weak message that focuses on a cross has the power to transform and change. Only Jesus and that message delivers. Indeed, Paul ends by saying If through that message we find ourselves uh, delighting in Christ, um, that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, No human leader can offer the gospel uh, promises that are delivered by Jesus. So let's not boast in in human leaders. Um, Though in the light of this passage, let's pray for them. But let's not show our immaturity by fixating on them or squabbling over them but rather let's exalt and honour Jesus. Not least as we use our gifts and our resources to serve his church uh, for his glory. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we recognise uh, that we are part of a culture that elevates its leaders. Um, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would... Uh, Repent of those ways where we think about leaders in an unbiblical way more than simply servants. Um, Father, we pray that as we sense that coming day approaching, where all that we do um, will be tested by your revealing fire, Lord, we want to uh, invest the things that you've given us the gifts, the talents, the time. Uh, to build something that, by your grace, will endure. So we pray that we wouldn't build with worldly wisdom, but we'll build on that firm foundation of your cross and build with those things that are valuable because they accord with your wisdom. So help us, encourage us, Lord, we pray to that end. uh, For Jesus' sake, amen.